when we think of health, we think about exercise. We may even think about checkups, dentist appointments, and even healthy diets. But an often unspoken part about health is fertility and reproductive health. For an area of health that is so crucial to a human's ability to have a child and the existing societal emphasis of family and having children, why do we not talk about fertility? And since fertility is such a taboo topic, what are some misconceptions or misunderstandings people may have about fertility? How can we normalize discussions on reproductive health? Well, a good place to start is by asking some questions and having more discourse. I'm June Kim, and welcome back to another discussion on the sidelines. Joining us on the sidelines today to talk about fertility is Hannah Lee, a medical science major working in the field of fertility. Thanks for joining us, Hannah. Thanks for having me, June. So let's let's talk about fertility, try to break down some of the taboo and stigma around talking about it, and just talk about what that process even looks like. So what does it even look like or what is it like to work in a fertility clinic? Like, what do you do for your clients? What is that process like? Well, a lot of people want to have children one day, but obviously it's not an easy black and white journey for everybody. So I think that's what makes this field really interesting because every case is a bit different. Um, Traditionally, when you think of a fertility clinic, uh, we might just think of like a man and a woman who have no children and are struggling to get pregnant for the first time. But in reality, there's many reasons that someone could be a patient at a fertility clinic. So, um, for example, a single woman might want to freeze her eggs before undergoing cancer treatment or a gender transition, um, or she might want to have a child using donor sperm. Uh, So I specifically work in third party reproduction, which I can kind of expand on as well. But um, I work with a lot of same sex couples and couples of older age. Mm, Very cool. So I think when it comes to fertility, also, like people always wonder about the timing. They're planning out their lives and they're wondering like, oh, like, you know, at this age, I want to, you know, get married at this age. I want to have a child. And I think that there's a lot of information that gets passed around. So I want to ask you. Many people wonder about the specific best age to have a child, but do you think there is like a specific best age? Um, Well, that's a complicated question because obviously we know it's harder to have children as you age and the risk of complications in pregnancy or in the baby increases with age as well. Um, Advanced age can, you know, affect women a bit more. And that's just because biologically men will produce new sperm every day through a process called spermatogenesis. But um, in a woman, all of her eggs are actually made before she's even born. So once a woman hits puberty, her body will release one egg each month, but it's never making more eggs. Um, So therefore, as a man ages, the rate and quality of that spermatogenesis might decrease, but he's still producing new sperm. Whereas in a woman, um, as she ages, the number of eggs she has will always be decreasing. Um, That being said, male factor infertility is really common too and can be affected by lots of things like diet, exercise, alcohol intake, etc., Um, So for all those reasons, that's why it's generally easier to have children in your 20s or 30s. But, you know, scientific advancements have made it um, more possible now to have children later on in life. And um, like one of those very well-known ones is probably IVF or in vitro fertilization. So it sounds like like when you mention things like diet, exercise, alcohol intake, it sounds like there's a lot of like behavioral or like health based factors. So like there isn't like a magic number, like when you're 29 and then you turn 30, like magically, like everything changes. It it sounds like there isn't a magic number then. Hey, no, there's definitely not like a a specific number. I I think it's just good to talk to your doctor and make sure you get the right resources if you're looking to to have children. Interesting. 
Very good to know. So you, you just mentioned in vitro fertilization or IVF. So what exactly is that and how does IVF work? Um, so in vitro, uh, pretty much quite literally means outside of the body. So in a natural menstrual cycle, a woman's body will be releasing one mature egg each month. Uh, but in IVF, it's a little bit different. So the women will take injectable medications over the course of one to two weeks to try and stimulate as many eggs as possible in a safe manner, of course. Um, she'll do lots of blood work and ultrasound throughout this so that the doctor can monitor her follicles that are growing and then adjust the medication dose accordingly. Um, after the eggs are ready, the doctor will go and retrieve them all and then put them on like a little Petri dish in the lab with sperm to hopefully fertilize. Um, if they fertilize, they some of them will develop into an embryo, which is then transferred back into the woman, um, and hopefully it'll implant. Um, so yeah, IVF just provides a little bit of extra help in getting the egg and sperm together if someone can't get pregnant naturally. Oh, interesting. So it's basically just you take the sperm and then you take the egg, but both of them outside of the body, do the fertilization process external to the body, and then if that is successful, you just implant the embryo back in. So just a, a little bit of science magic working behind the scenes to still help with a very natural pregnancy, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm, very cool. So I think you mentioned this earlier before specifically that you work in third-party reproduction, and this is working with same-sex couples and couples of older age. So I wanted to ask, what is third-party reproduction and why is it so important? Why is this maybe even underspoken, do you think? Definitely. So third party in this kind of context just basically refers to somebody outside of yourself and your partner. So like a sperm donor, an egg donor, or a surrogate. Um, because you're involving another person, there's just some extra steps that you have to take throughout this journey. Um, so for example, this means that, you know, if you're using a donor, you, you probably want your donor to do some infectious disease blood work. You might want to know a little bit more about their family history, just to make sure that there's no serious inheritable diseases that are going to be passed on down onto your offspring. Um, in Canada, anyone doing a third party cycle also has to do a session with a reproductive counselor so that they have those really important discussions about, you know, having a child through third party reproduction or like raising a donor conceived child. Um, in Canada, there also needs to be legal agreements in place to protect everyone's rights. So uh, it's just a little bit of a, a different kind of process, but um, ultimately with the end goal of, you know, having having a child. Hmm. And it sounds very important because this is potentially maybe the only way some non-heteronormative couples or, or partners can even have children in the first place. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think this has really changed the game for, for a lot of people. Uh, you know, people who didn't think that they could have children before, now there are options to, to do so. Mm, that's awesome. And when you mentioned surrogacy, could, could you just quickly explain what, what a surrogate is? Yeah, definitely. So um, a surrogate is just the gestational carrier who is not the intended mother. Uh, so it's, you know, transferring that embryo into another person, a third party, uh, and that gestational carrier is going to be carrying the pregnancy to term. So, um, for example, for same-sex male couples, uh, they'll need to use a surrogate to have a child. Um, or for some you know, heterosexual couples, like a man and a woman, um, the woman can have some complications that prevent her from carrying as well. Right. Okay. So a, a surrogate is an example of a third party uh, helping out with the, I mean, reproductive cycle, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. 
I wanted to ask because, you know, you're someone who is within the field of fertility and reproductive health. And I think this is a topic that is quite taboo a lot. Not a lot of people talk about it. And therefore, I think it's very common or maybe very possible to have things like misconceptions or misunderstandings, maybe even just false information out there. So I wanted to ask you, as someone who knows a little bit more about this field, what are some common misconceptions about fertility that you think it's important to clear up or to explain to people? Um, well, you know, speaking and just kind of continuing about surrogacy, I think a common misconception is that surrogacy is illegal. Um, so it's totally legal in Canada and many other countries around the world, um, the U.S. included, but every country does have different laws and regulations. So in Canada, surrogacy must be altruistic, which means that the surrogate cannot be paid. Um, however, it is quite a big taxing process. Um, so the surrogate can be reimbursed for her expenses incurred and so that she doesn't have to like pay anything for these um, for this journey. Um, I think another misconception is that doing IVF or being an egg donor will affect your fertility in the future. Um, so women have hundreds of thousands of eggs and that they'll release some of those throughout their lifetime. But just because you're stimulating a bunch of eggs at once to mature and release doesn't mean that you won't continue to naturally release eggs afterwards. Um, obviously, with any treatment, there's definitely risks that should be discussed with your doctor. But generally, it is a safe procedure. Hmm. So sounds like, you know, fertility, fertility clinics, reproductive health, all of this, you know, like you said, comes with risks. But definitely has changed life for the better and really, really has given many couples and individuals opportunities to have more children and, you know, maybe even start a family in that sense. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, that's why I think makes this field so amazing. Um, if you go to a good clinic, you have a great doctor, it's a very safe and rewarding experience. Well, thanks for talking about fertility and reproductive health today, Hannah. Very, very cool conversation. Thanks for having me. And thank you again for tuning in. And remember to subscribe for more conversations and some insightful answers to your questions about the science impacting your world. If you want to learn more about reproductive health or any of the other topics we've talked about on the show, visit us on Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok at sci for everyone and on our website at www.scienceforeveryone.ca. On the Sidelines is a podcast by Science for Everyone. It's produced by Sam Marchetti, Connor McLean, June Kim, and Thaneshwari Rajendran. On the Sidelines is sponsored by the University of Toronto's Student Engagement Grant.